All right. We're going to get started here. You can make your way to your seats. We are in Mark chapter 16 this morning, so if you would open your copy of God's Word, turn to Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read the first eight verses. If you would, once you've gotten your spot, if you would stand as we read this. Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 1, says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a risen Savior that we celebrate today. And Father, I pray that as we walk through your word this morning, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would open the eyes of the blind, that we might see you in all your glory and give you the praise that you so deserve. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' precious name, amen. Please be seated. I was awakened this morning at about 3.30 a.m. and couldn't go back to sleep, so I started reading the text this morning, and about five minutes into it, the Lord said, you know that sermon you wrote? Throw it away. So I wrote a new sermon this morning at 3.30 a.m., so we'll see how it goes, right? I want to walk and put some context to the story, because there's a verse, there's a phrase that really stuck out to me when I read this text this morning. So the the story goes, you know, that we, we talked on Friday, if you were here, if you were able to make it, we talked about the crucifixion of Jesus, and what a horrible scene that was. We talk about the violence of it, the brutality of it. We talk about the suffering, the shame of it, the humility for humanity when you start to reflect upon it. And Jesus died. And this morning in prayer, we read the end of Matthew chapter 27. Jesus' dead body, it was very dead. There's ongoing debate. The reality is Jesus is a historical figure that's been proven. The reality is that Jesus was an innocent man and He was put to death and He really died. And they put Him in a tomb and He was there for three days. And it says that they rolled a large stone in front of that tomb. And that brings us to our story this morning. That as they began going, a few women, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, to bring spices 
so that they might go and anoint him. And it says, um, very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And as they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? A question arises. They're going to the tomb to see the, the burial site of Jesus. They go to anoint His dead body. They're going to put spices and anoint Him with oil. And, and, and somewhere along the lines on their journey, in the midst of the dark, something hits them and it dawns on them. How are we going to get in? There was a very large stone and there were guards there. And in, in, amongst the, in the darkness of their journey there, they began to ask themselves, who will roll away the stone from the entrance for us? Panic maybe started to settle in. It was dark. It's a graveyard. Maybe creepy. An incredible question if you pause and think about it. It is the one question that demands an answer today. Who will roll away for us the stone from the tomb? It's an incredible question. It's a question that I want us to ponder and consider this morning. And I think there's three aspects of the question that I'd like to think through. First of all, I think it is a tragic question. It's a tragic question because it's a question that reminds the humanity of the condition that we face. Is it not? Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? There's a trajectory in life, is there not? But there's an inevitability for all of us. And that inevitability is death. When I think of the tomb, I think of death. I think of, of the body of Jesus being laid there. And in James chapter 4, it says, Why do you worry about tomorrow? Don't you know that your life is like a fleeting vapor? In Hebrews chapter 9, it says that it is appointed a man once to die. Everybody is appointed a time and a day. It is inevitable. The heart is a drumbeat of a death march. And one day, it stops. That's what the tomb reminds me of. A place of death. A place that is, is inevitable. It is inescapable that we are all part of the ultimate statistic. Ten out of ten people die. It's a tragic question when I start to think about it. The tomb, what must have been going through their minds as they had watched Jesus die on a cross. The one that they thought was their Messiah. The one that was going to bring freedom and hope to the nation of Israel. He was now laying dead cold but they still loved him and as they walked they came closer and they're like well how are we even going to get to him but not only the trajectory of death but also a terror is there not death is fearful at times it's fearful because that stone represents a partition does it not a separation between Life and death. I think of King David, who when his son, born of Bathsheba, was sick and dying, he fasted and he prayed and he pleaded with the Lord to, to save his life. And then he heard news that his son had died. And in, in uh, 1 Samuel, it's recorded for us the words of David, 2 Samuel, it says that... that um, uh, 
When David had heard, he got up, he washed himself, he ate, and his, his servants were nervous. They were like, well, man, he was fasting, he was praying. I don't want to tell him his son died, and he heard about it, and now he's all uh, up and ready and just acting as normal. And they said, David, what's going on? And he said, when he was alive, the Lord could have restored him, but now he has died and he is gone, and I cannot have him come to me, but one day I will go to him. David understood, and if you've ever been to a funeral, you know the reality, and it's a sad, cold reality that death is there. It is always knocking at the door, and it is a fearful thing. Uh, If you've ever uh, read the book Pilgrim's Progress, at the very end of the story, this incredible story, you have uh, the allegory where Pilgrim, Christian, as he travels to the end to get to the celestial city, there's one more barrier. Death. Nobody can escape It's a tragic question when I begin to think of it because of the terror of it, the fear, the pain. It's painful for all. That that suffering in death, that sometimes when your body goes through that, that, that termination, it is a painful thing, but also the loss for the living of those who have died and gone on. And it's pitiless. Death shows no favoritism. The grave is never satisfied. In Proverbs 27, verse 20, it says, Hell and destruction are never full. There's a trajectory that we all face when I begin to think about this question. When I begin to think, well, who, what about the stone and this tomb and, and, and death and, and the, the terror of it? And not only that, but there is a tragedy attached to all of it. You know what it is? It's all our fault. It's 100% our fault. It was never God's intent. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God told Adam, the day that you eat, and the day that you violate my command, you shall die. And death was brought on humanity. Ezekiel tells us that the soul that sins, that includes every single human being. It shall die. Romans 3, it tells us that, the, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of sin is death. The reality is that the tragedy in this whole question is, you know, who shall roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb, this place of death? The tragedy in all of it is, it's our fault. Jesus would have never to die. The entrance of the tomb. It's not just a tragic question. It's also a trying question. Who will roll away? Who will roll away? It's a trying question. It's a plea for help. It is a it is a request as these, these three women who all their combined strength, they understood that there is no way they could have moved the stone. It is an incredibly allegorical picture for us too. A cry for help. Who will roll away? It tells me a couple of things. Number one, it tells me of the efforts of the enemy. The stone speaks of the efforts of the enemy, which is this. He knows no limitations in what he will try to do. And he tried everything to prevent the resurrection of Jesus, did he not? 
In some collegiate sports, they say, at least they may not admit it, but you ain't trying unless you're cheating, right? Satan tried everything. We know that his goal is to kill and destroy. And he thought he had victory. His efforts were purchased. No cost was spared to defeat Christ. He, he, brought, he bought a, a brother from Jesus' own group to betray Jesus. He took and, 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 and spared no expense. He had a guard paid and watch. We, we read downstairs that, that uh, 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 it says in Matthew chapter 27 that uh, they, they said that his disciples said that on the third day he would raise from the dead. And we want to make sure that this doesn't happen. So the, 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 the officials say you have three days. You can guard it. Physically, no energy was spared. It says over and over again, it was a large stone. Can you imagine this? It's a psychological warfare that, that Satan would not only have Jesus put in a tomb and he would say, I'm going to guard it. I'm going to put a massive stone in front of it that no one can move. A stone that would create for these women who wanted nothing more to go and see Jesus. And the stone was the barrier that would keep them from Him. It's a question that reveals the efforts of the exhausted. And the constant attempts to escape death. Constant attempts to move that stone. A stone which represents a barrier. And how oftentimes when we look at this question, we ask it to ourselves, who will move the stone from the entrance to the tomb? We start thinking through of all the things that we need to do in order to be right with God. And we create a list of things that we are going to try and things that we're going to do. And, and I can imagine if the stone was still there in front of the tomb, what, what Mary Magdalene, what Mary, the, the mother of James, and what Salome would have done. Would they have tried to get up there and, and push at it? Would they have tried to do something? Would they have you know, asked the guards? What would they have done? What efforts would they have made? Because ultimately the question comes in, who will move the stone? And at the end of the day, it's not right living. It's not religion. The end of the day, the efforts in the end, vanity and hopelessness. Think about it for a minute. If we're talking about this as death, as Jesus laying in the tomb is death, look at our society for one minute and try and figure out all the efforts mankind tries to do to prevent death. What would a person pay if they could extend their life? What would a person be willing to do if they could extend life? I think of the story in Greek mythology of a man by the name of Sisyphus. I'm sure that's the correct pronunciation. But the story goes that he tricked Hades. And so when Hades finally caught him and, he, and captured him, in the underworld, he had a chore for him, and that chore was that he was to roll a stone to the top of the hill, and every time he got to the top of the hill, the stone would always roll back to the bottom, and he would do this for eternity. And we look at that and we say, that's so silly, but that's the reality of so many people today. 
that even in Christianity, we try and try and try, and we are constantly making the effort to try and achieve something that we will never achieve in this lifetime. And Solomon said it so wisely when he said it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, as he opens his book, he says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Who will help us? Who will roll away the stone? from the entrance of the tomb for us. It's tragic. It reminds us of sin and death. It reminds us of wasted energy after wasted energy. But this is where I'm excited because it's also a triumphant question. For those who know the answer, it is the greatest of questions. It starts with a proper placement, does it not? Notice what they said. Who will move the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? See, there's a recognition on their part. They realized that with all their strength, with all their might, with their combined efforts, they could not move the stone, and so they had to have something else move it for them. This is the reality of humanity, brothers and sisters, that when we look at the monument of life and death, that when we understand that in in life there is one trajectory, and that trajectory is that it is appointed a man once to die, and there is nothing you can do about it, we have to ask the question, for us, who will move the stone? It's a recognition as we can look at Romans chapter 3. And you can read through Romans chapter 3, this incredible chapter that starts with this wonderful description of humanity. It says, here's what the Scripture says about mankind. There is none that does good. No, not one. There is no one that seeks after God. There's venom in their lips. They are filled with vileness and despicableness. And there is nothing good in us. And then... Paul opens up this most incredible paragraph in the entire Word of God, starting at verse 21. He says, But the righteousness of God has been revealed to us in this way, that Jesus Christ died and moved the stone in our place. He for me. It is a 100% replacement. Not He plus me, but He for me. He on behalf of me. Over and over again, the Scriptures tell us the truth, the reality, because so many of us are trying so hard to move this stone, to get into a place with God that we could never achieve. And so in in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sakes He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.4, He Himself bore our sins in His body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For us. Not with us. Because the reality is there is no way the stone could have been moved except God Almighty. 
There is a recognition that we need help. There is a replacement and there is an incredible reward. He for me equals righteousness. That is incredible. Paul writes to the Philippians in this incredible passage. He says in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Paul had accomplished so many things. He says, I count it all but loss. In fact, he says it's rubbish, it's dung, it's junk because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and what? And be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings and become like Him in death. This whole thing puts a proper perspective on life. But it also shows the passion of our Lord because nothing could contain Him on our behalf. In Acts, Peter and John give one of their incredible sermons and it says that Jesus died, but the grave could not contain Him. All the obstacles he overcomes, death, a massive stone, guards and religious leaders, all why? Because of his love. Not only does he overcome all these odds, but he does it without hesitation and he does it with ease and it demonstrates the length and the depth and the breadth of his love for his people. Romans 8.32 tells us that God did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us. Why? Because of his love. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read that it's because of His great love for us, being rich in mercy, Christ died, making us alive. The question to me speaks of salvation. Because so many of us today come in and we ask, why church? Why do I need to be here? Why do I need to do any of this? Because we've kind of gone through the ages thinking that church is, in so many circles, part of the requirement. But it has, in some cases, become a stone. My question for you as we begin to draw this thing to a close is this, who will roll away the stone for you? We have a Savior who has risen from the dead, who has overcome death, and, and we read through this story, and what an incredible story is they're wandering and pondering, and they're trying to figure out, well, who's going to roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? And they get there, and guess what? The answer is right there. It's already been done. And for so many of us, we walk through Christianity trying to figure it out, or we walk through life before being a believer, and we're trying to figure out, well, how do, we, how do we restore a relationship with God? Because that is the question of humanity. I don't care what race or religion people come from. They're all trying to accomplish the same thing, a renewed relationship with God. Every single human being <coughs> that has ever lived or breathed has a vacuum that they're trying to fill. 
And they try all kinds of things. For the atheists, they're trying to fill it with pleasure and no sense of responsibility or, or submission to one who is a higher power. For anybody, they're trying to find it. Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? And I love how it says this. It's startling to them. In verse 4, And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. Brothers and sisters, when we come to a right understanding of faith in Christ, we come to this place and we're like, death is approaching and I don't know what to do. There is impending dread and terror in my life. And we come to Christ and we see the cross and we see his death and his burial and we come and we say, well, how do we get to God? Guess what? Faith is this. The stone has already been rolled away. Nothing that you can do or will do. For some, the answer to this question is a new hope. For some, they walk in fear of death. For some, they walk in fear of the unknown. And they ask the question, I know it's coming. I hear my heartbeat ticking. And one day it will cease. Well, how will I overcome death? And they read and they look up and they see the stone has been rolled back. It was large, but it's been tossed away. And entering the tomb, they see a young man seated on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they are alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where he is laid. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. For some, the, the answer to this question is a new hope, but it's also a new help because for so many of us, we still continue, we believe, but we still sit here and we say, well, I don't know. And we're, you know, I think that there are some people who are in an empty tomb because Christ has rolled it away and they're just sitting there and they won't leave because they don't believe or they think I need to keep pushing and I need to move this stone. Let him move the stone. He gives you everything you need. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that we have been gifted with everything we need for life and godliness. It's not about our efforts. Let him move the stone. He lives for you. One of my favorite books of the Bible is Hebrews. And in Hebrews, it brings all the Old Testament together and it points to so many different things. But in this, in this incredible passage in Hebrews chapter 7, it tells us that Jesus is the guarantee, he's a better guarantee of a new covenant. You know why? Because the way the system worked was a priest would offer a sacrifice for sins. And every year they would do this special sacrifice where he would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, only once a year he could go in and he would do it on behalf of all the people. So the relationship with God consisted of this, that I would have to be dependent on another man to go and offer sacrifices one time a year on my behalf. But this is why Jesus is greater. Listen to what the writer says. Jesus is a better one. Why? The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office. But he, meaning Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. 
because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always, listen to this, if you don't know what Jesus is doing right now, I'll tell you what he's doing right now. Listen to this. He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus laid in a tomb. And on the third day, he said, I have work to do. My people. And the stone was rolled away and he got out. And now he always lives to intercede for his people. He lives for you. Let him move the stone. Put aside all your fears. He conquered the obstacles for you. And he always lives for you. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this resurrection. I think this resurrection is one of the most important things in Christian theology. Why? Because as Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But praise God, that's not the case. But in fact, he says in verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And later on, he says, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall move the stone away from the entrance of the tomb for us? Jesus. And He has. And we celebrate that. And we can walk. And this communicates such an incredible message to us. It tells us that Jesus was truthful, that He did what He said He was going to do. It tells us that he was, he was powerful, that He could overcome death. It tells us that He was triumphant. And it tells us that He can do anything. And He lives always for you. There is no religion in the world whose Savior is alive except Christianity. That's why it's so important. So I want to leave you today with this thought. Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for you? Some sit here today within that tomb because Jesus died in your place. So somebody has to be in the tomb. In your life, it's either you or Jesus. That's what replacement means. That we are guilty and condemned, and to be put into that burial tomb. And if you are in that tomb, who shall roll away the stone from the entrance for you? The reality is that we have all lived and are destined to death. And the reality is that Jesus Christ offers all who would believe in Him that He made perfect sacrifice on a cross. He died, was buried, and He rose again. Who will remove that stone for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning.
We thank you that the gates of hell have been thwarted, have been thrown open, that those who are destined to eternal hell can come into the very presence of God because of the righteousness of Christ. Because what he has done is offered for us in our place to take that spot in the tomb. And that tomb could not contain him. And we hear in your word, we read it over and over again, come to me, come to me. And whoever believes, I will never turn away. So Father, I pray if there is anyone here today that does not know you, maybe they came because they were invited. Maybe they came because they felt like it was that time of year. Lord, I pray that they would know and believe that Jesus Christ laid in a tomb on their behalf. And then He arose from the dead, conquering sin and death, offering a gift to all who would come and receive it. And Lord, the beauty of this gift is that it is not about our efforts, it's not about our works, but it's by grace so freely given. Lord, I pray that if there are hearts here today that have been cold and unreceptive, that today they would realize what a, what a free gift has been given to them. Not by any man, but by the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would be reminded on a daily basis that our Savior is risen from the dead. He has removed the stone of death. And He always lives to intercede on our behalf. Lord, may we go to You and plead our case and know that we are forgiven. We thank You. We praise You. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.